in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 26. The author of the psalm is David the prophet. As the title says, a psalm of David. David appears in the psalm as one enduring reproach. And in this type, he is an example or type or a symbol, more accurately, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, it is an encouraging example for us to carry the burden of insult and slander to the throne of mercy. So when we are hurt or people slander us or reproach us, the right approach like David did is to take this burden to uh, the Lord, to his throne. Also, uh, many people ask when David composed this psalm. Actually, there are various possibilities about the occasion of writing this psalm. Some said because of King Saul's persecution to David. Others said, no, it is Absalom, his son, rebellion, when his son Absalom rebelled against his father, or some political crisis. Others said it was written at the time of the assassination of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. As you read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 4, from verse 5 to 12, by Ba'na and Rechab. And David composed this psalm to declare his innocence because he was accused that he may participate in the assassination of Ishbosheth to revenge from King Saul. So David composed this psalm to declare his innocence of any participation in that murder, as it is clear in the text of the psalm. Also, as you remember in the story of David, at one time he fled to Lachish, the king of the Philistines. So David was accused of betraying his own country and his own people by taking refuge in others' countries, especially in the countries of the enemies. Also, they accused David that he participated in worship of idols and in evil practices of idol worshippers. <coughs> so, according to some scholars, this psalm is a collective lamentation for all his life. Even though the psalmist speaks in a singular tense, but here actually he is speaking on behalf of all the believers as a representative of the congregation, being all of us one unit, the body of Christ. 
David, in the beginning of the psalm, he defended himself. Then he asked God to deliver him. And at the end of the psalm, he made a public acknowledgement. He promised to make a public acknowledgement of God when God delivers him. David prays that God would distinguish between the righteous and the wicked and to save him from sharing the fate of the wicked either on earth here or in eternal life. But we can see also in this psalm in spite of the danger that David was facing but his confidence of God is unshaken. And some fathers compared between this psalm, Psalm 26, and the previous psalm, Psalm 25. There are many resemblance of thought and expression. For example, both psalms, David spoke about his integrity. Uh, and in both Psalms, David spoke about his trust in God. Also in both Psalms 25 and 26, David prayed for deliverance and asking the grace of God not to abandon him. Also in both Psalms, the sense of God's loving kindness and faithfulness was mentioned in both Psalms. But there is one thing actually was missing in Psalm 26. But you can find it in Psalm 25. David in Psalm 25, he confessed his sins and he asked for forgiveness. And this was a marked feature of Psalm 25, but it's absent in Psalm 26. So the Psalm outline, it's just only 12 verses. And we pray it in the third hour of the Agbay. We pray it in the third hour of the Agbay. From verse 1 to 5, David upholds his innocence. He speaks about his innocence. Verse 6 to 8, David proves his love to the house of God. And from verse 9 to 12, David beseeches God for mercy. David beseeches God for mercy. So let's read the whole psalm and then we will take it verse by verse. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving 
and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Don't gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place, in the congregation I will bless the Lord. Alleluia. So, verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. So, like many of David's psalms, this psalm was written from a time of great trouble. And it seems to some believers it is a bold act to call on God for judgment. David said, vindicate me. And some assumed that the confidence of David is set upon his trust in the ego, in self-righteousness. So he said, vindicate me, O Lord, I know that I walked in integrity. And they criticized his boasting of good behavior and compared David to the Pharisee mentioned in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector when the Pharisee entered into the church or the temple and started to say, I fast two days, I do this, I do that, I'm not like the sinners. However, the church does not accept this. But David here actually, he attempts to vindicate himself from the false charges directed against him. As I told you in the introduction, they charged him that he worshipped idols, he charged him that he betrayed his country and went to the country of the enemies, Uh, they charged him uh, that he walked with the assembly of the wicked. Many, many false charges. So, evil, uh, so David said, I had no evil intention. I walked in purity and in innocence. So when David said, vindicate me, he meant Please, God, come to my defense. Defend me from all those who are falsely accusing me. He asked God to examine his situation. He brought the matter before God so God can decide whether David is a betrayer or is a good, innocent person. He told him, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. This is the first thing which he brings before God that God may examine. The consciousness that he had tried to live an upright life. He tried to live according to the law of God. 
he professes to have a sincere heart in serving God and his love for the Lord always had been unchanged. Therefore, despite his present difficulty, he could say, I shall not sleep. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not sleep. So vindicate me here. Come to defend me, O Lord. You know, you know Peter when he said to the Lord, you know that I love you. So David is saying to God, you know that I walked in my integrity. You know, I have also trusted in you. I shall not sleep. Verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Examine me like the refiner when he puts the gold in fire in order actually to purify it. So David said, examine me as the refiner examines his metal to test its fine quality. Because it's possible that one may deceive himself and be biased. So David is asking God, examine me. St. Augustine commented on verse 2 and said, Examine me, lest however any of my secret sins should be hid from me. Examine me, lest there is some hidden sin inside me I am not aware of. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Make me known, not to thee, from whom nothing is hid, but to myself and to men. Make me known to myself. You know even the hidden things of me. So the purpose of this examination, that I can know myself better, that I know if there is any hidden sin within me, in order to be purified. So this request to examine or to prove or to try refers mainly to the inward working of a person, the mind and the heart. Examine me, O Lord, prove me, try my mind and my heart. So why the mind and heart? Because those were believed to be the seat of passions and feeling. And when the feelings are right, the whole man is right. As we read in the scripture, the heart is the fountain from which issue streams of life. And if the fountain is pure, if my heart is pure, then the streams cannot be impure. David asked mainly that the examination may be directed to his mind, to his thought, and to his heart, to his emotions. Verse 3. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. So David is saying that I trust you because I know your mercy. I know you are a loving God and a kind God. 
And that's why this trust and having your love and kindness in front of my eyes helped me to live my life in truth, to walk according to your truth. So if you want to walk according to the truth of God, trust Him and put His love, love and kindness in front of His eyes, of your eyes. Uh, David can pray for an assuring judgment when he told him, vindicate me. He actually trusted that God will be on his side. And he submitted himself to this examination. Why? Because he knows God's loving kindness and faithfulness. You know, when the prophet gave David three options, three punishments to choose from among them, What did he choose? He said to fall in the hand of God better than to fall in the hand of men. Why he chose to fall in the hand of God? Because the loving kindness of God is before his eyes. He kept God's loving kindness before his eyes to reflect on it, meditate on it, present it to his thought continually. So, the mercies and the loving kindness of God was the object of his constant meditation. It was his daily experience in his life. The psalmist was preserved from sin by his assurance of the truthfulness of God's promise. Even what do I mean by preserved from his sin? Even when he committed sin, he repented. Because God promised to accept the sinners when they repent and return back to him. So, because of this trust, because of his uh, confidence that the promises of God are true and God will forgive him, this helped him to repent. And as he said, he always walked in God's truth. He always, I have walked in your truth. What is the truth of God? Actually, in John 17, 17, we read, Your word is truth. And also in Psalm 119, 42, God's law is the truth. So walking in the truth of God, meaning walking in the law which God has given to men. And the word I have walked speaks of action, a manner of living. So not just God, I love you, I trust you, I have walked means there is actions, deeds are done. And you can see how David realizes the importance of both the inward life when he said, try my mind and my heart, and also the external, the outward life when he spoke about, I have walked in the truth of the Lord, here about the right actions and deeds. Verse uh, 4. I have not sat with idolatrous mortal, nor will I go in with hypocrites. 
So after David said, I am walking according to the truth of God, he gave examples, some specific ways to, to demonstrate what he meant that I have walked according to your truth. So he said, I was not associated with the lovers of evil. Men are identified by their friends and company they keep. As they say, tell me who are your friends, I will tell you who you are. David was accused of partaking in idol worship and the evil practices of idol worshippers. That's why now in verse 4, he is confirming that he did not associate with idolatrous mortals, those whose hearts are set upon vain and worthless things. And this was an evidence of his faithfulness to God, that he never associated with those who had any reason to think were enemies of God or false friends. He did not associate with idolatrous mortals or with hypocrites. Hypocrites, those who speak one thing, but they mean another. Hypocrites are the assembly of unfaithful men, deceitful workers, who walk in guile and pretense. Those who have the form of religion from outside, you, you say they are religious people, but they are strangers from the power of religion. And when David said, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites, he is teaching us a very important lesson, especially to the youth, to avoid bad company which is a good evidence of our integrity and a good way to keep us in integrity. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, bad company corrupts good morals. Then in verse 5, he said, I have hated the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. The assembly of the evil doers means there are two assemblies. The assembly of God, the family of God, is the assembly of the evil. St. Ambrose noticed that St. Paul in Acts and in his letters, he actually salutes the churches of Christ because according to St. Ambrose, there are churches of the devil. Those actually uh, the evil doers. Although the prophet David, by fleeing to an idol worshipping land when he fled to Palestine, and was deprived from his own people and of the house of God, yet with his heart, even in this foreign country, he had not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor he went with the hypocrites, he hated the assembly of evildoers and did not sit with the wicked. Regardless where we are, 
Whenever we go, we should have our integrity. Wherever we go, we should be witnesses for God. David went even fled away from Jerusalem to a country that worship idols in this country, the country of his refuge, he did not sit with wicked or evildoers or hypocrites. Then from verse 6, he starts to show his love to God and to the house of God. He said, I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. David did not believe that he is sinless or perfect. Otherwise, why he is washing his hand, which, which is a symbol of repentance. He did need to wash his hand, but he could do so in the innocence of clear conscience before God. We wash our hands in water to clean our hands. Our spiritual hands we wash it in the tears of repentance, in uh, the innocence of a clear conscience. When we repent and we confess our sins, that's how we wash our hands. So David meant to proclaim his innocence of the charges against him, as if he is saying, I will carefully watch against all sin." and keep my conscience pure from those dead works which defile the person and forbid my drawing nigh to God. So washing my hand means carefully I am watching myself and I cleanse myself through repentance from any dead work that actually Take me away from the Lord. By the way, these verses 6 and 7 uh, are the verses that Abuna prays when he washes his hand. Abuna washes his hand sometimes more than one time during the liturgy, but at least one time while the people uh, reciting the creed. So while Abuna washed his hand, he actually uh, said these verses. And I'm sure all of us, now we wash our hands several times a day, especially with the pandemic. So maybe it is a good exercise that every time we wash our hands, actually we should remind ourselves to cleanse our hands from wicked actions our mouth from evil words, our hearts from sinful and immoral desires. And if we memorize verse 6 and 7, every time we wash our hands, we can repeat them. Outward cleanliness is good, but worth nothing if our life and heart are not clean and pure before God. David washed his hand in anticipation to go to the altar, which means before we come to the church, we need to repent and offer repentance. So our worship will be accepted before God. That's why he said, 
I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. As the priests, before they come near to the altar to minister, they used to wash their hands in the Old Testament and their uh, feet. Those who offer the sacrifices, uh, not the priest, but for example, if a person bringing uh, a sacrifice, uh, burnt offering, or uh, sin offering, or trespass offering, or priest offering. So these people, maybe, most probably, they did the same, but from a distance. So they came to the altar, but from a distance. Acknowledging the seriousness of the practice of offering the sacrifice on their behalf. So washing their hands means I, I, I have to approach the altar of the Lord in purity, in repentance, in innocence. So David, although he is fugitive in a foreign land, but with his heart, he is present among the people of God. And also he partakes of the holy ministry of the priests. He, he recited these verses while he is a foreign land, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, away from the tabernacle of meeting. But in spite of this, you know, his heart was in the temple. He is present by his spirit in the tabernacle, washes his hands together with the priest, not in the water of the liver, but in the innocence of the heart, goes about the altar, not with his body because he is in a foreign land, but with his inner longing and his kindled and fiery love. As if David saying, no power could deprive me of the enjoyment of the beauty of the house of God, nor presence by spirit in the place where the glory of God dwell. So although I am in a foreign country, but my heart is there. I will go about your altar, O Lord. Scholar origin has scholar origin is the father of the allegorical uh, school in uh, interpreting the scripture. So scholar origin said, what is the altar? The altar here is the soul of man. As St. Paul said, you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you. Scholar origin said, when the soul nods, not outwardly, but internally, bow to the Lord, but looks toward herself, the soul when the person looks at himself and to her own center she compasses the altar of God framing no angle which can retain corruption because the wise Solomon tells us that fully lies in wait at every corner so scholar origin said when you look at yourself as if you are composing the altar of God and the altar of God fills your heart and there is no one corner in your heart there is sin hidden in it all your heart 
is consecrated to the Lord. Then in verse 7, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving until of all your wondrous works. Uh, that I may proclaim in the Coptic translation and also in the Latin translation, Vulgata, it is that I may hear the voice of thanksgiving until of all your wondrous works. So if you read it like in the liturgy book, uh, that I may hear the voice of thanksgiving, that is a Coptic translation, which actually like the Vulgata, the Latin translation. So the prophet David means in verse 7 that in the midst of all the slanders of his enemies, his ears are not inclined to their words, his, not, his mind not preoccupied with what they are saying about him, his mind not even preoccupied with defending himself, but the joyful voices of praise that he is listening to and hearing fills his whole being and satisfies his life. That I may hear, that I may listen to the voice of thanksgiving. So which voice you listen to? The voice of the people who gossip or slander about you or the voice of praises of God? The first one will make you from inside upset, uptight, angry. The second one will make you joyful. It's your choice where you direct your ear. As the Bible says, he who has ear to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. So David is confident of his clean hands that would allow him to gather in worship with God's people. When he said, I wash my hands, so now I can stand among the God's people and listen to the voices of praises. And while he is there at the tabernacle, he would fully wished for and desire to give thanks to the Lord. That's if we took the other translation as proclaim, not listen. He wanted to tell others about the wondrous works of God. And certainly, those works would have included how God delivered David from his enemies so many times. I may proclaim the voice of thanksgiving, I may make known to others. As I told you in the Vulgate Latin translation, and also in the Coptic, it reads that I may hear the voice of praise. Some say God must teach us first and first we need to hear, then we can tell of his works. So that I may hear, so I will learn, then I will tell of your wondrous works. And St. Augustine actually confirms this uh, view when he said that I may hear the voice of your praise that I may learn how to praise you, that I may declare all 
your wondrous works. And after I have learned, I may set forth all your wondrous works. Verse 8. Lord, I have left the habitation of your house. They falsely accuse me that I worship idol. No, this is not true. I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. For David, a right walk with God was more than the avoidance of evil. So David did not only avoid evil, but also worshipped God. Sometimes we say, I don't do anything bad in my life. Why should I come to the church? But no. Not enough to avoid evil. Also you need to walk with God, worship Him, glorify Him, praise Him. Uh, It was a simple, deep love for God and His presence, the temple, the, the tabernacle. He loved the tabernacle because it represented the house of God. It was the place of the glory of God. Many, many psalms, David said, I was glad when they told me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Your dwelling, your courts, O Lord, are lovely. Many, many psalms, David expressed how much he loved the house of God. He said, it's better to sit at the gate of the door of the, of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the sinners. One day in your courts are better than thousands. So the psalmist expressed his love to this place in opposition to the congregation of evildoers which he hated. So he hated the habitation of the, the assembly and habitation of the evildoers, but he loved the habitation of the house of God. He tried to eliminate all lies about him, all false accusations. When they accused him that when he was among the Philistines and at distance from the house of God, David no longer loved the house of God or God. So, although it was his greatest concern that he was banned from the house of God's privileges, so David tried to assure God and everyone. No, my love to your house and my love to you never changed. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Verse 9 Don't gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. My soul speak about after death. My life while he is on earth here. So, in light of David's great need and his great trust in God, he asked God to preserve his life. And after having given proofs of his integrity, now David earnestly praying with a humble confidence toward God, 
that he might not fall under the destiny of the sinful and evil doors. He refused to associate with the wicked in life. That's why he asked God to keep him from sinners in death. I hated to be associated with sinners here. So after I die, don't gather my soul with the sinners. Bloodthirsty means men of blood who thirsty to shed blood. The wicked, the wicked are described as men of blood who do not hesitate to commit any violence and murder. And these wicked men not only imagine malice and harm in their hearts, it's not just the imagining, but persist in it executed with their hands. So literally, like King Saul, Absalom, they killed many, many people, innocent people. They deliberately planned and execute crime. And as David said in verse 10, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. So they take bribe because love of money and they change the judgment, modify the justice. Uh, so they take bribes to change, modify justice. David knew of many wicked men with evil plots who were full of greedy bribes, and he considered it a curse to be associated with them, either here on earth or after he dies if his soul was gathered with them. And St. John Chrysostom compared between hands full with bribes and hands that are lifted up to heaven in prayer. And he said, let lifting up of my hands be as an evening sacrifice before you, O Lord. Then in verse 11, he said, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. So David, with a holy, humble confidence, commits himself to the grace of God. Redeem me and be merciful to me, and I will walk in integrity. Definitely, David is not a boaster. He is not bragging of his own strength. Otherwise, why he is crying for redemption and mercy? Despite the danger to his life, despite the presence of the wicked, but he said, through your grace, because you redeem me, I will walk in my integrity. As if he is saying, I can only walk in integrity if you redeem me, and be merciful to me. I will walk in in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me. When you redeem me and be merciful to me, I will walk in integrity. He promises that 
by the grace of God, he would continue in his obligation and responsibility to walk in integrity. Then last verse, verse 12, my foot stands in an even place, in an even place, no bumps in. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. So, what does it mean I stand in even place? He is saying, even place, you are stand with confidence. So he's saying, I'm standing upon a sure and solid foundation because I am under the protection of God's promise to redeem me and to have mercy upon me. God is the Almighty and with his watchful providence there is nothing will cause me to stumble or to fall or to slip as if I'm standing on even place. So this solid foundation will not be shaken even by the temptation of the world. Then he concluded by saying, in the congregations I will bless you. In, in all my gathering with God's people, I will speak good of the name of the Lord and bless his holy name. St. Augustine comments, in the congregations means in the churches, I will bless you, O Lord. I will not hide your blessing, O Lord, from those whom you have called. For next to the love of you, I join the love of my neighbor. So, proclaiming and praising God and blessing his holy name among the congregation, this is actually a sign of love to my neighbor, because I will tell them about the uh, wondrous words of God. This concludes Psalm 26. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.